Welcome to Coastal Connections, Stories from the Atlantic. In this volume, we will continue to cover local perspectives on inspiring stories of innovation across Atlantic Canada, where communities are becoming more resilient when times are rapidly changing. In a few years, we should be able to boast to the whole world that Newfoundland has cleaned the bottom of all their harbors. Don't do it. Don't litter. Just don't do it. Hello, I'm Jackie Bauman, and I'm here with Dr. Sandra Eager. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're an international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are dedicated to supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world. Today, we will hear from Sean Bath and Stonine Whalen from Clean Harbors Initiative based in Bay Roberts, Newfoundland. Over the past 20 years, Sean has witnessed changes in the oceans as a commercial scuba diver. He recently started CHI with Stonine to focus all his energy, time, and resources to raising awareness and cleaning up the oceans. Who would have thought our harbors looked like an underwater dumping ground? filled with tires, bottles, toilets, computers. Let's learn how Sean went from bringing up sea urchins to hauling up trash instead. My name is Sean Bath. I'm the founder and volunteer diver for Clean Harbors Initiative. I started it almost three years ago now, out of necessity, I guess. I seen after 21 years of swimming over the ocean floor, all the trash that was on the bottom that was potentially never going to come out if someone like myself didn't get involved and try to start cleaning it up. So we started the Clean Harbors Initiative and started photographing and videoing everything we took out of the water to post online and try to bring awareness to the problem. And this is my partner, Stanine Whalen. She's the uh, brains behind the organization. Hi, everybody. But when I first started out, it was just myself, basically. I'd go out a couple times a week, maybe three times a week, and I'd uh, dive off a wharf somewhere with a bit of rope. I'd tie on 10 or 15 tires. I'd come back to my truck and uh, I'd uh, take my dive gear off tie the rope onto the truck, and I use four-wheel drive in my truck to pull the tires up from the side of the wharf, right? Once we get on the wharf, of course, we'd uh, take a bunch of pictures and videos up and upload it, and uh, we'd try to get some support for the following day. And eventually, we put up a GoFundMe, because all of our friends were saying, set up a GoFundMe, right? We weren't really that sure about that at first, but, and we started getting a bit of support from people, so we got funding for the next day and the next day, right? Eventually, we started uh, doing it on a more regular basis. With 250 harbors in Newfoundland, this is no easy task. So look out, because these folks are on a mission. For me personally, I love it in the water, of course. Uh, so going and spending eight hours cleaning up trash off the bottom is fun. There's no work to it, it's, even though it's hard work, but it's, it's still not work to me. Right? Uh, I get in the water, I take a bag with me if I'm collecting bottles, and I just fill that bag full of bottles. And uh, like we did with the sea urchins, we got the skipper on the surface in a boat waiting, and want to get the bag full of bottles, I'll pluck on the rope, bouncing the buoy off the surface, so we can see that... I need another bag. He'll toss me another bag. I'll take that one and swim away. And he'll pull the other one up and empty it out and get it ready for the next time when I plug again. Right? And if we're going after tars on a particular dive, well, uh, I'll just take a rope with a few feet of chain on it and a snap ring, and I'll just keep pushing the rope through the tars. And I'll string on probably 10, 15 tars and just snap the last one on. A lot of times we use our trucks to pull it up with our cranes or booms, whatever's around at the time. Every day is kind of different every place you dive. And sometimes you just take a bag and you go around and look for unique stuff, different stuff like car batteries, parts, bottles, whatever. Whatever you see, you end up with a bag of 10 different types of things, right? CHI is surely making a splash. 
What started with a small educational request from the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, they now organize cleanup dives in different towns across Newfoundland. They continue to raise awareness on the issue of ocean pollution and bring residents, harbor authorities, and businesses together to increase the impact of their work. Here, Stanine provides the funding background of CHI and how they have been able to grow. DFO approached us about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, about doing some kind of an educational thing to help bring awareness. So they gave us a small grant and we were able to do up a PowerPoint and send it off to all the small harbor authorities and municipalities. Then we were invited to the Harbor Authority seminar and we got to meet a lot of them there and bring more awareness to it. So now when we go to harbors, we're supposed to reach out to the harbor authorities to let them know. We try to reach out to the towns to see if they'll assist in any of the garbage removal because right now it's out of our own pocket. Their networking paid off and they were eventually successful in getting a bigger grant to continue their work with the help of Cheryl from IFA Canada. She applied to several grants, but we didn't think nothing of it. And when she finally let us know it was the $80,000 grant, we were floored. So right now we've got three major dives planned for this year. Thanks to Cheryl and to our generous donors, we've been able to get larger dives in, right? We're able to afford it now. Well, not all of it, but... We can afford it a little better. Yeah. Every time we go into a, a town, we usually get the uh, donations from the people in the restaurants and the business in the, each town, right? Sometimes the town council comes on board with a donation for us. Everybody's getting on board now. It's making it easier and easier for us to do this. Eventually, we'll be getting, hopefully, federal funding on a regular basis, and hopefully there'll be lots more people in Newfoundland doing the same things we're doing. We're basically trying to uh, pave the way, I guess, for other crews to come and do the same thing, right? Everything we've done and everything we're still doing is like a learning process, so it's coming together. I immediately start to think about what could be lying at the bottom of our local harbors. Essentially, there is some weird stuff, as well as many common items that represent how our relationship with the ocean has evolved over time. After a hundred dives myself, I was not prepared to hear what Sean is taking out of the water or the challenges that he faces once the garbage is back on land. One thing is certain though, he is making an impact. The shocking stuff is the sheer volume of what's on the bottom. Usually same thing, most all the harbors like beer bottles, Pepsi cans, Coke cans, whatever, uh, rubber tires, batteries, just a whole bunch of trash, whatever side of the wharves, unfortunately. Every harbor we dive in is pretty much the same thing, right? We can go around pretty much any government wharf and get two or three hundred towers off the bottoms, along with four or five thousand bottles. We found toilets and statues of Buddha, you name it, it's yeah. out there. Computers. Yeah, we find games. Quite a few electronics like laptops and old fashioned computers and that stuff. People had their boats, right? I guess they just want to get rid of it, so they give it a toss over the side, right? Which is not a good way to be doing it. <laughs> uh, as we get the stuff out of the water, we're, we're getting more people to come on board and help them dispose of it properly, right? Now, when we started at the beginning, we were going to the garages, dropping off some small towers to the garages, and a lot of them was getting going into landfill. But within probably a year's time, we'd hope that we wouldn't have anything else going into landfill, that everything will be going to different places for recycling. That's the plan, anyhow. Finding solutions for how we can recover waste? I should connect Sean with Ben, the founder of 3F Recovery. Remember when we interviewed him in episode two? I see potential for some collaboration and innovation with all the stuff they bring out of the water. As with Ben's work, some of these waste products will likely be a new niche market for the region. I'm interested in whether or not this is on their radar and whether they have ideas into recycling or maybe reusing some of the materials that they haul up. Well, it is difficult to get rid of most of the stuff we find. But, um, and that's because there's, there's, like I said, there's nobody doing it, right? There's very few people recycling the stuff. But that's one part of our initiative in a year or more time. We'd hope to have 
something set up here in Newfoundland so we can recycle with stuff. Um, there's one gentleman recycling old goldsmiths, turning them into planks and wharf sticks that, I mean, why can't we do that here in Newfoundland, right? And there's lots of people around here, I'm sure, would love to take that job on. And uh, what a way to spend some government money, right? Is invest in uh, cleaning up our ocean. So why is it so important to collect this trash? As an experienced harvester, we asked Sean about the impacts of this trash as it sits on the bottom of our harbors. In regards to the impact of this trash is on the bottoms, like the current tars we find, these tars take 60 to 80 years, I think, to break down. And when they break down, they're basically broken down into little microscopic pieces of rubber. And everything they see eats that, right? Some of it just settles down to the mud, and the mud around the wharves is black and dead, right? But uh, you got your mussels, your scallops, your lobsters, crabs, whatever, eating this rubber. And if we eat scallops and mussels now, we're eating the rubber, right? And the same thing with batteries or whatever kind of plastics on the bottom. This stuff is breaking down and getting into the food chain. We're eating what it's eating. And uh, it's so much easier to get it out when it's in one whole piece than it is to try to filter it out of water when it's in microplastics, right? The bioaccumulation of plastics in the food chain can be deadly. By working with the Atlantic Healthy Oceans Initiative, a nonprofit in Growth's Morn that's tackling plastic pollution, I've actually been investigating this. I learned how pathogens and toxic bacteria can latch onto microplastics, and these microplastics can then be ingested by zooplankton. Being at the bottom of the food chain, these toxins in zooplankton can make their way up to large mammals, including whales. On the bottoms, like I said, we can get, on most harbors, we can get four or 5,000 bottles off the bottom. And uh, people just say, well, okay, it's just a beer bottle or it's just an old medicine bottle or whatever, it's no big deal. But these bottles, they act as little traps. All the uh, sea urchin spawn, the mussel spawn, whatever, tend to drift in these bottles in the spawn phase. And then it settles down and it hatches there and grows inside until it gets so big. Then it's stuck, right, and can't get out. And, like, for a clam or a scallop or something like that, it can't open and close to feed itself. So we find so many bottles with dead shellfish in there, well, obviously it was born in there, and just grew and grew. So it's not only just trash, but garbage just killing something, so why not pick it up, right? I asked Sean about whether they are cataloging their efforts and sharing data with other organizations. He shares that there could be a huge benefit in having this type of knowledge. Between ourselves, IFA Canada, and Environment and Climate Change Canada, we're building some data so at the end of this contract that we have with these guys, we put out a report showing how much stuff we recovered, how much it cost, and where it was to, and the different kinds of stuff, right? So yeah, we're doing a, the data collection, and uh, Cheryl Fink from IFA Canada and myself and Stanina will be doing the report, right, for the Environment Canada. There's going to be uh, a benefit to having this knowledge, right? Cause, well, knowledge is power, right? <laughs> This is a very exciting trend to be growing. We asked Sean about the positive impacts of this growing initiative. What are some benefits to the local economy or to the people around the harbors? If we can get the funding from the government, we can put 60 people to work in the next few months and keep them working pretty much all year round. Yeah, we can employ a lot of people if we had funding because the amount of trash is on bottom is absolutely endless. And uh, we need a lot of crews that are doing these cleanups, right? Not just on the water and under the water. We need people to help with the hauling of the trash away, sorting it, and putting it in the proper recycling areas, right? So, I mean, it can create a lot of jobs on the water, in the water, and on shore. Right now in Newfoundland, if we only had one recycling plant set up to recycle tires and all the old fishing gear we take out of water, and that would provide a lot of jobs, right? We're shutting down plants all the time, and everybody's complaining there's no work now. But, I mean, why not have a recycling place here right in Center Island, right? That can't be that hard to do. I know I keep saying that and people keep coming up with excuses what they can't do it. But I mean, 
it's easy to come up with excuses why you can't. Why not try a little harder? We're giving them a reason why you have to, yeah. right? I mean, it, it is a need. It's not just a few bits of litter here and there. It's it's bad, right? I know from being a fisherman that it's very difficult to get rid of your fishing gear. And I'm willing to bet that's why a lot of fishing gear gets left in the water because it's just too much of a hassle for a fisherman to get it ashore and find somebody to dispose of. So, I mean, there definitely should be somewhere fishermen can go and drop off their old fishing gear that you don't want without any hassle, without any expenses or whatever. Somebody should deal with that. We want to get this off the ground and, like I said, show everybody the, the way to do this or kind of lead the way, I guess, kind of like be the first domino, right? And we want lots of other groups to get on board with us and uh, do the same thing that we're doing. In a few years, we should be able to boast to the whole world that Newfoundland has cleaned the bottom of all their harbors, right? If we get a few crews on go, 10 or 12 crews, we can have that done in maybe 10 or 20 years. And just imagine how good that would be to uh, our aquaculture industry and our tourism industry to be able to show that, look, we clean the harbors of like 250 harbors. We clean the bottoms of these harbors. And I think that'd be a, something worth boasting. Sean has suggestions to support his greater vision for Newfoundland. I'm sure there's more to it than just jumping in the water with your diving gear. Right now, because of liability issues, uh, it's much better for anyone who's listening to us who wants to help this grow to uh, help with donations. If we can get the money that we need to hire divers on a regular basis, we can have our crew. And the problem with getting volunteers involved, even though we do use some volunteers, but it's such a liability. If someone comes out with a boat and has injured me, we don't have the money to go to court and be sued over it. So we got to kind of keep the volunteers at bay as much as possible. Just use the ones that we know that we work with for a long time, Rick. And we have got lots of volunteers that we call upon. So uh, if anyone, like I said before, if anyone wants to help me, donations is definitely the best way. Or orchestrate your own cleanups, right? Beach cleanups especially. So you can clean up a beach today, 30 days later, go back and it's about the same thing. Uh, the toy just keeps bringing the trash in. So if someone really wants to help, I mean, that's one way to do it there. The amount of community support for this initiative is incredible. We see this exemplified by donations from the Bay Roberts community. All the business in Bay Roberts here has been donated to us. Ampagen, Canada, they donate to us numerous times, like coils of rope, whatever we need for hauling of our tires. Now. Just the other day, they messaged us and asked us if there was there anything else we needed. And uh, first we started, we never had anything, but now all of a sudden we got people asking us. If you take a peek at the CHI website, you will see a beautiful boat with a beautiful story to go along with it. Right now, we got a 26-foot speedboat with a wheelhouse on it and a crab hauler. That was donated to us by the family of the late Lindsay Penton. He had passed away a couple of years ago, just before Christmas. And uh, we were down looking at their boat prior to that, probably wanting to see if they would be willing to sell it. And at the time, they weren't selling it, so that's all I thought about it. But uh, after uh, Lindsay had passed away, his son, Nick Penton, had reached out to me one day and told me that uh, his dad had always wanted to donate some stuff to our cause, but he never got around to it because every time he did, some of his friends would come and nab stuff he had put aside for us. So he said to, to come down. He said, I got some rope and some gear and stuff for you. Right? So I went down there on a Saturday. And when we get down there, he said, uh, well, I kind of lied to you about the gear and everything. He said, but I do have something for you. And he said, what about that boat there? So they donated like a twenty to $30,000 boat right, right there on the spot. And Man, talk about what a feeling, right, knowing you had to deal with support and you're like, yeah, all the pain and suffering they were going through at that time, they still wanted to reach out and do something good for someone, right? That's where we got our 26-foot boat. So we took it and we put it in Bell's fiberglass shop there in Bay Roberts. The guys took the boat and I had a few repairs I needed done on that boat. And uh, when I told them what I wanted done, they said, okay. So they told me I wasn't getting my boat back until it was done to their standards. So when I got it back, of course, they had completely remodeled the boat inside and out. They had grinded it off outside, redone it, and they'd done the same thing inside. They'd done a whole bunch of fiberglass work, re-gel it, and just did an amazing job on the boat. 
it was about an eighteen thousand dollar donation or something they did, right? And one time coming to pay out, like they said, no, no, we're not taking any money for this, right? This this is our our donation to you, right? Then there's Avalon Industrials in our company here in town. They kept us going basically in whatever we needed for the first year probably. So we we've definitely got a lot of support from the people at the local business in the Bay Roberts area. These donations show tremendous impact and validation for their hard efforts. For more information on donation-based social and environmental work, check out the Canadian Philanthropy Partnership Research Network, also known as PhiLab. If you have the capacity to donate or are interested in research opportunities across Canada, see the show notes for more information on community-based philanthropy. They impact us more than we impact them, I think, because of their generosity and their ability to see what we can do. Some days you're out there and it's like, oh, it's never going to get paid. We're never going to get help. We're never. And then someone turns around and does that. It's like, wow, we didn't feel that we were actually impacting anyone, to be honest with you. But then their generosity comes forward and it's like, wow, you know, it's very humbling. It's very rewarding. Right now, that's valued at close to $70,000. And personally, I've only put about $1,000 into it my own self. The rest was the other $60,000, $90,000 came from donations of people pretty much all over the world and mainly here in Bay Roberts, I guess. But we had people all over the world donating to us to help us get that boat done. If you'd like to get an in-depth look at exactly what efforts these generous donations are helping, check out the recent documentary, Hell or Clean Water. This features the work of the Clean Harbor Initiative. After doing so many cleanups and uh, bringing awareness to it on a, a small level, we uh, went to Cody Westman from Cat's Eye Cinema looking for a commercial to be made because uh, we needed to bring attention. There's a lot more than we could do with just Facebook, right? When I told him what we were doing and how much trash we had taken to water today, he had a better idea. He thought there was more there than just a commercial, right? So I, I jokingly say, well, we got an hour and 28 minute commercial out of it. <laughs> but uh, we were lucky enough that they had a spot to fill for a documentary at the time, and uh, they offered to us, right, when they seen what we were doing. Throughout the documentary, it was kind of heartbreaking in the beginning for a while because like, we struggled, desperately struggled trying to get this out of the It was not no easy task, I tell you. And that's in the documentary. We didn't cover nothing up, nor did we hold any back, right? We made it clear, like, this is what it took to do this. And in the first part of the documentary, like, wow, this is, this is a real tearjerker, <laughs> But uh, as the documentary goes, it gets... Uh, more uplifting all the time because you're seeing the progress we're making. You're seeing all the people get behind us right now. We're getting so much accomplished. Well, at the end of it all comes together, and there's a lot of happy people, I'll tell you, myself included. <laughs> Hell or Clean Water premiered at the end of April in the Hot Docs Film Festival. Stay tuned for the official online release of the documentary this August on their website. It's estimated that this film will reach about one to two million viewers. Sean hopes that there will be enough people who view this documentary who will be inspired to contribute to their cause. There will be enough good Samaritans out of that. We're hoping that they'll be donating to our cause and help us buy the rest of the gear we, we need and help us pay for divers' wages and more cleanups. Right? Like a three or four day cleanup, you go across the island, you're looking at ten dollars to $15,000 right? to hire everyone and pay insurances and gas and hotels. And so it's a thing we can't afford to do by ourselves. But now, if we can get to people of the world, be honest, we'll do the labor and hopefully everybody else help fund us. Right? I was able to see the documentary while it was in the Hot Docs Film Festival, and I quite enjoyed witnessing the power of the local scale. I definitely got goosebumps while watching the story of the boat unfold. Another one of my favorite moments from the film was the way that Sean displayed such empathy for the dead orca. When we spoke, Sean shared details of this story with me. A little while back, we had the uh, opportunity to go to Triton 
uh, over there, it's one of the fishermen had told in a orca whale that they had caught in their net, and it had drowned. They told it ashore, and DFO came over and did their science on it or whatever, and they uh, gave it to one of the fishermen to tow out into a cove, I guess, to let it decompose so they can retrieve the bones. And uh, when we went there, the net that was wrapped around the whale's tail that caused it to drown was still on its tail. <laughs> like I always say, if, if you've seen a man hang himself, you wouldn't bury him with a noose around his neck, right? You take it off. So we took the rope off the whale's tail anyhow. And I, I thought about it for a while, what I wanted to do with that. But if there's some uh, artist out there or somebody who's got an idea that he can take like a five-gallon bucket full of old nits and rope and stuff like that, it's just basically all cut up then. If there's any way they can make a, uh, any kind of artwork out of that or something that would bring awareness to the problem of ghost nets and drowning of whales and stuff, we've been hanging on to that for that purpose. And it's free for anybody who's uh, willing to take that on. And if anybody thinks they can do a good job with it, make some kind of a sculpture out of it or something out of it that would uh, get attention right and get people thinking about whales drowning in nets and stuff, well, we'd, be, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you're interested in taking some harbor waste items, including the net from the orca, Sean would love to see some creativity and artistry go into reviving this net into something meaningful and beautiful. If you're looking for something else, I'm sure he can get you a steady supply of materials. Stanine also wanted to share where you can purchase some recycled treasures that also help CHI keep harbors clean. I've been yeah. making sea glass jewelry and paintings, artwork, and polymer clay figurines to raise money for our cleanups as well. That's one way we've been recycling some of the trash, right? Very small stuff now, like the sea glass net, but... Uh, Nevertheless, it's been taken off the bottom of the ocean floor and turned into beautiful jewelry. You can see it on our, our site, CHI Seashop. That's S-E-A-S-H-O-P-P-E on Facebook. I love the sea glass studs that I ordered. They are so cute. This community-centered organization gave way to an organic growth from what started with just one diver and a social media account to now being an organization that's scheduling several cleanups throughout the year and their story even being featured in documentary. What we want is to bring awareness to everyone of the damage that the litter is doing. I mean, some people just say, oh, well, it'll decompose, but it doesn't. We're not doing it for the money, but yes, we do need the money to get this going. The donations that we're getting are just covering the bare costs. We're not getting enough to make this grow into the six-man team that we want. Everything we get is helping. It's helping greatly, but it's it's still such a far cry from healing what we've damaged that we still need to do this. This is not going to go away in a year or two. This is, a, I think, a lifetime commitment, at least for us. This needs to be so much bigger than what you're going to raise on Facebook or from a GoFundMe <laughs> or whatever. Government's got to step up and say, okay, we're going to put some kind of a program together where we're going to be hiring crews to do this, right? Whether it be fishing crews or crews of people like ourselves, right? We, we've reached out to DFO to try to get some help with some uh, motors to go on our boat. And uh, we didn't really fit the category because we weren't, we never had a paperwork order, I guess, as a nonprofit at the time, right? And uh, ACAP Umarham from Corner Brook, they reached out to us and said that they were set up to it for it. And they would like to work with us and help us uh, get these motors from, from the government, right? Or get the funding for these motors. So between the three groups of us, myself, our, our group, ACAP Umarham, Corner Brook, and DFO, we managed to get the funding straightened out so we can purchase two brand new motors on the back of that boat, right? To have all these people coming together and working long and late hours just to try to get that done. Man, that, it showed you that your problems was beyond you, right? We're just the first domino, right? Trying to push the next one over and the next one, the next one. 
20 years from now or 10 years from now, whatever, there's probably going to be somebody with a lot more money, a lot better ideas than I got. Right? was going to be doing this, and uh, we'll be able to look back and say, okay, well, we, we kind of kick-started this, but these guys now are on it, doing it on a much bigger scale. Right? And that's where it needs to go. Right? This is not something I'm going to complete by myself. Right? Sean and Stanine are taking on a massive issue. It's no wonder that they need all the help they can get. Stanine shares a warm, fuzzy moment of community appreciation that really helped to validate the work that CHI has been doing. I remember one of our first, when we first started, we were doing a beach cleanup because uh, he didn't have enough money for air for his tank. So he said, well, we'll go do a beach cleanup. We went to the convenience store on Water Street in Bay Roberts and we said, explain what we were doing and ask if we could bomb a few garbage bags, basically. And I said, bomb. <laughs> and she said, no, no, no. And she gave us some gloves and she gave us a bag of garbage bags. And we went over to Coley's Point to do a cleanup. And we were out there. It was windy and miserable. And we were picking up garbage, and this gentleman drove past, turned around, come back. He said, well, uh, what are you guys doing? So we explained who we were and what we were started and what we were doing. He said, oh, my God. And he ran back up to his car and come down. He said, that's all I got. And he gave us $5 bill. But it was still, like, he wanted to help, right? And we are like, yeah. oh, my God, people really do care, yeah. right? So that's always stuck with me. Like, I mean, that's all he had, but he wanted us to have it. And I thought that was just just amazing. To me, $5 is as good as 50 is just because it's coming from the heart, right? So it really made my day. I didn't want to be out there that day because, like I said, it was miserable. Picking garbage is not my highlight of my day, but that he made my day that day. So, Imagine the ocean is your bedroom. Remember what mom used to say about tidying it up? Now let's clean up our mess. Addressing the threats to our ocean is everyone's responsibility. There's so much we can do to make sure our daily actions aren't causing more harm. We want to get this off the ground. Like I said, show everybody the the way to do this or and we want lots of other groups to get on board with us and uh, do the same thing that we're doing in a few years we should be able to boast to the whole world that newfoundland has cleaned the bottom of all their harbors right if we get a few crews on go 10 or 12 crews we can have that done in maybe 10 or 20 years and just imagine how good that would be to uh, our aquaculture industry and our tourism industry to be able to show that look we clean the harbors of like 250 harbors we clean the bottoms of these harbors and i think that'd be a something worth boasting. We know that ocean pollution is complicated. The disposable life cycle of goods is integrated into products and company practices everywhere we look. Let's think about the products we buy. Always consider the following steps. Just say no and refuse any unnecessary disposable items. If you just can't refuse, then reduce. And as a last resort, we can reuse and recycle. But remember, recycling doesn't just mean putting plastics and papers into the blue bin anymore. There are some innovative programs out there which incorporate upcycled materials into new products. This is the trade of thinking we need to push forward. As we move forward, let us tread a bit more lightly in the footsteps we leave behind. Check out the show notes for ideas on how you can integrate these principles into your own life. Do you want to reduce your plastic footprint? Plastic Free July might be over, but... We'd like to suggest that you challenge yourself. Can you push a bit further? Can you continue to refuse plastic into August? What about September? Today, we spoke to Sean Bath and Stonine Whalen and heard about their journey with CHI. Sean started as a commercial diver and developed a hobby of cleaning up harbors. Now, he's an activist, a rising movie star, and a role model that continues to share his passion for cleaning up the oceans. There's lots of work to be done, and they've proven that what they're doing is valuable to communities, to the environment, to the government, and that these local efforts can be scaled up. We're open for anything. So as long as they're 
like-minded people who've got a passion for, for the environment, right? Yeah, definitely. I love this story. It gets to the root of some of the key issues in our business-as-usual lifestyles and uncovers some really bad habits. If you want to make a difference in your community, whether it's seeing a cleaner harbor or having a safer swim, this is a call to those listeners out there who want to make an impact. Be a leader like Sean or Stanine. Start a harbor cleanup in your community, or even take part in a local beach cleanup. Removing litter may seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but the fact is, the more cleanups we do, the more awareness and education we can bring to ocean pollution. Cleanups show us what the most common sources of pollution are. That way, we can use policy to prevent pollution in our ocean at the source. Get in touch with other passionate individuals in your community and take action together. We'll try to give you a head start with some helpful resources in the show notes. We want to keep the attention on this issue going. So next month, we are aiming to unearth the jargon behind plastic pollution even further. Ghost gear, marine debris, what's the difference and why should I be aware of it? We'll continue to hear from folks across Atlantic Canada who are working on this issue to prevent, to research, and clean up our coasts and oceans. So if you have any questions about ocean pollution or ghost gear, please let us know as we prepare the next episodes. You can reach us at stories at coastalroots.org. To connect with the people you've heard on this podcast, please visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. Coastal communities in particular face some of the greatest environmental challenges. Coastal Connections is on a mission to showcase how coastal communities are adapting to environmental changes and how they continue to thrive, even in the face of uncertainty. We are funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Grenfell Campus of Memorial University of Newfoundland. We also receive support from the Arel Food Institute of the University of Guelph, the Meopar Network, the Environmental Policy Institute, and the Harris Centre at Memorial University. We'll see you next time.